Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pitch to Contact podcast. This is episode 36. I'm your host, Ben Jones, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, John Kuh. John, are you in the best shape of your life? I am always in the best shape of my life in February, and it just gets worse (laughs) and worse from there on out. Yeah, I tend to peak in February, and then it goes down. That's when the uh, New Year's resolutions, (laughs) I think, start to die. And so it's like, ah, you know, maybe maybe we'll go to Taco Bell again for dinner tonight. That would probably be good. Yeah. That being said, though, it is impressive that every subsequent year, you know, we always end up in the best shape of our lives compared to you know, like the last, you know, uh, the last section of our lives. And just like Christian Vasquez, man, um, doesn't matter how <laughs> old you are, you are always in the best shape of your life. That's true. If you come to spring training and you th- say anything except that, I think, you know, maybe you need to have a little intervention with your PR person or something, because that's always got to be the message you send. Right. I mean, a little side note here. Shout out to Miguel Sano, who apparently has dropped like 58 pounds or something yeah. like that. Um, he is he's probably say he's in the best shape of his life as well. He also went over two with two Ks today. So, you know, he's right. He's actually right in midseason form. Yeah, exactly. No, nothing's changed with Miguel Sano, but he's apparently uh, several pounds lighter now. Yeah, uh, good for him. Good for him, for sure. But uh, yeah, it's always funny when people start showing up to spring training and it's like, oh, they're in their best shape of their lives. That thing that they were bad at last year, actually, they've been working on it and they're going to be good at it now. Like Mm -hmm. I saw the big one uh, this year was Brooks Lee, who famously wasn't swinging well from the right side to switch hitter. You're struggling against lefties. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, I've been working a lot on that all off season, you know, it's really been a priority for me. And I'm like, I'm sure it has, but probably nothing's changed in six months, if I were to guess. Hey, well, I I will be glad if I uh, am found incorrect about what I think about uh, Brooks Lee's uh, potential major league prospects. Oh, boy. Well, maybe we should uh, dig into that one here in a little bit. But (laughs) before we do, regular programming reminders. You can follow our podcast on Twitter slash X at Twins Talk Pod. Uh, Make sure you subscribe or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platforms you listen to. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. I don't think Stitcher exists anymore. Stitcher dead now. Do we need to update that note? I think it's been absorbed by Google Podcasts or something. No, Google Podcasts is dead. Oh, Google Podcast is dead. Had it the other way. All right. There we go. Well, whatever you listen to, uh, be sure to subscribe, share it to friends, leave a five-star review. We always appreciate it. Um, and of course, we're going to get into the start of spring training today. We're going to break down all of the very important spring training lines. We're going to talk about Joe Polad and uh, maybe how he should just learn to lie sometimes. Uh, but before we do, let's get into the actual news of the offseason. 
So let's start with uh, the two actual 40-man moves that they made. The first one was that they signed Jay Jackson, who I had literally never heard of before mm-hmm. they made the acquisition. Yep. Um, and I follow baseball super closely, both because uh, I like the Twins and I like the league and I like to follow along. And like you, I play fantasy baseball. I've not heard of Jay Jackson once. I don't know about you, but just complete anomaly, anomaly to me. Yeah, I was extremely surprised that they're, uh, that this guy had major league innings. Um, and, and quite a few. <laughs> yeah, 29 innings last season. I mean, the, I guess we could be forgiven for not really knowing that much about him because career, he's only had 87 innings as right. a reliever. And uh, that's like a season and a quarter for most like top end relievers. So yeah. it's not that surprising that we didn't know about him. But that being said, he did have some, he did show up in 25 games for the Blue Jays last year. So and it's not good. like he was, yeah, completely uh, un- un- unknown. Yeah, so we're we're a few weeks removed from this one at this point, but uh, we haven't done a podcast since then. So I think I think we'll uh, talk about it a little bit more here. But he fits the typical Twins mold in that he has an okay fastball and a good slider, uh, and the Twins probably feel like they can get a little bit more of that fastball, like they've shown that they have in the past. So um, I, I don't think it's anything great. I think what this mostly does is just give you a little more depth and a little more optionality with the options that you already had. So rather than starting with Jorge Alcala on the, uh, opening day roster, this probably pushes him to the minors or Cole Sands, if you wanted some length, anything like that. But, uh, Jay Jackson himself, he seems like a great guy. Everybody loves him. Um, I think part of what's important to point out last year is he was struggling a little bit in the minors, but he was going up and down between the blue Jays and the majors and their minor league team in Buffalo. And then he was actually uh, spending a lot of time back in Utah as well, because he had a child that was born like 16 weeks early or something like that. And so he was traveling all over the country, a lot going on in his personal life. Everything seems to be uh, good and resolved now. So happy for him, happy for his family, but uh, maybe, you know, not dealing with so much movement around life change between, uh, you know, minor league options and family issues. He can uh, buckle in a little bit more for the majors this year. Yeah. Roster resource currently has him listed as the twins long reliever, which is definitely incorrect. Um, yeah. I don't think he's not, ever been more than like a one in a guy. No, but that being said though, it, that's kind of where the twins are at in that they actually have, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit right after this they actually have eight major league relievers that they can try out on their opening day roster and they don't need yeah. to bring someone like cole sands or josh winder up as a potential long relief option because they already have eight arms in their bullpen that are decent short-term options yeah for sure which again is a great place to be in we've talked a little bit about the starting staff about how we would have liked to see another starter brought in beyond just anthony di mm-hmm. but if you're not going to do that, I think this is a pretty decent way to make up for that, right? Jay Jackson isn't great. He's, you know, maybe he does take a huge step forward and becomes someone like Brock Stewart, right? But at this point, I think it's pretty doubtful. However, again, like I was saying at uh, the top here, it does just give you a lot more depth, more things to work with if somebody is bad or hurt. Um, you know, you don't have to rely on so many innings from the Cole Sands, the Josh Winders, the uh, uh, Dallas Keuchel's, right? I, granted, he was a starter, but kind of in that same vein, right? The guys who... Maybe there's something, maybe they're not, but let's, uh, you know, you feel more confident maybe bringing Jay Jackson in in the fifth or sixth inning if that's as far as DiScofani go- can go rather than bringing in Cole Sands. Right, exactly. It, it's like uh, w- you're more willing to go into your bullpen uh, because you have these guys who, you know, can at least pitch one solid inning. Yeah, there, there's the good old narrative from the Twins that – I still know how it exists, but it's like, oh, Rocco doesn't let his pitchers go deep, even though last year I think they were like top three in starting pitcher innings. Yeah. Um, but 
And that maybe that's true, maybe that's not. However, I think this is what it allows you to do, right? For Pablo Lopez, he's going to go six or seven pretty much every time. Probably the same thing for Joe Ryan. Uh, but for most everybody else, third time through the order, you don't have to uh, let him go if you don't want to because you have this bullpen depth, yep. um, which is going to be, I think, how you see some of that if you want to get money ball about it, right? You see Sonny Gray recreated in the aggregate, right? Because you get yeah. Kiskofani two times through the order, and then maybe you go Jay Jackson or Steve Nokert, who we'll talk about here in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, the corresponding move there was Jordan Balzavic being DFA'd. Uh, he stayed in the org. He passed through waivers. Nobody claimed him, which is a little, I would say, minorly surprising just because he is – He's a former top prospect right now. His yep. stuff hasn't been great. He hasn't pitched great in the minors or the majors in three years, essentially. However, again, just that top prospect pedigree tends to uh, let you catch on with another team. But I don't think anybody else wanted to use a 40-man uh, roster spot on him either since he's out of options and couldn't be sent down. Yeah, not a ton to add here. I mean, the, with Blazovic, you know, we, we've kind of seen his stuff. And it's okay, but the, the reality is he was – probably what a top 100 prospect i think two three years ago yeah I, was, I think three years ago was like the peak he was still on some list two years ago but yeah, yeah. and that was as a starter and yep. then he just had some really awful seasons unfortunately for him and that's kind of forced the twins hand to transfer him into the bullpen where he pitched in the majors last season um and then yeah it just it just didn't make sense to just like have that spot in the 40 man kept by a guy who you know, at best, it's like a middle reliever for you. So, you yeah. know, this this move makes sense in terms of getting just a veteran guy like Jay Jackson. And regardless, too, is even if you did want to keep him on the 40-man, he wasn't going to have a spot in the bullpen because, like you said before, they already have eight major league caliber uh, relievers. And right. so there, there just wasn't another spot for him. And so you're either going to send him through waivers now or you're going to send him through uh, waivers at the end of March when, you know, 60-day ILs were open. There's much more likely he gets claimed at that point. Um, so this way it just makes it a lot easier. You had a better chance to keep him. They did end up keeping him. Uh, the one other thing I want to say about him before we move on is uh, with, with this stuff, especially, I think nowadays, even if somebody isn't performing well, it's like, oh, well, let's find a bright spot here, right? Griffin Jacks is a starter. I think he's a great example of that. He was terrible as a starter. Absolutely awful. However, that slider looked really, really good. And so they're like, hey, move you to the bullpen. You can be solely fastball slider. You don't have to worry about anything else versus uh, Balazovic. Just there, there wasn't anything promising. He didn't have a good fastball. None of his breaking pitches were good. His changeup wasn't that great. And so there's just nothing there for him really to build on to justify keeping him on the roster. Yeah, just looking at his fastball metrics, it's yeah, like you said, it's it's fairly average, and the slider and the curveball don't really get a ton of strikes. Um, yeah, yeah, the 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 slider is like pretty average in terms of getting strikes, and the curveball is actually somewhat below average in getting strikes. So, um, just yeah, just didn't really have a lot of great stuff. Um, hopefully, you know, having an off season and and being a little bit more cemented in that reliever role gives the Twins a little bit more opportunity to tweak with his tweak with his stuff, but. The reality is he's also 25, so right. it's kind of hard to to you know relearn, not relearn, but kind of develop uh, your pitches in such a way that you can become even more devastating if they already aren't very good to start out. Right, with. versus you compare that to Cole Sands is the example I like to bring up. But yeah, Cole Sands wasn't great, but uh, his slider has some decent looks to it, right? Even if it's maybe he's not performing as well. I think he's actually a guy that could perform very well if moved to a one-inning role. Mm-hmm. Uh just not what the twins need right now, given their roster. And so he hasn't had the chance to do that. And so that, you know, combine that with the roster options, stuff like that, right. If you're looking at somebody to move off of, I think, uh, Belzovic was always the one that made the most sense. Um, sorry, you have something to add there? 
I mean, I'm just kind of looking at the metrics behind his slider, and I'm—I mean, I'm not the best when it comes to looking at stuff metrics. There's there's other guys who can interpret stuff better than me, but um, yeah, his slider kind of just doesn't have a lot of horizontal movement, and so he really need—he would have to play that off his four seamer with having a mm. little bit more vertical vertical break on it, um, which it does. But it just seems like his location on it's just kind of all over the place as well. So there's yeah. there's something there. There's something there that could work out, but. Um, I think it's going to take a lot of work from the Twins organization, and maybe they're willing to put in the work, right? Yep. Um, the, the Belzovich, for all intents purposes, is going to be in AAA, and so being able to just like work with him and maybe say, "Hey, that slider that you threw twenty percent of the time, let's get that up to forty percent of the time, and let's actually make that a pitch that um you can use uh to really get guys out in you know one inning scenario." Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's move on from theoretical to someone who's actually going to help this year. I hope. Sure. Um, and that is Stephen Okert, who the Twins acquired in exchange for Nick Gordon. Kind of an interesting trade here, just because um, you know we were talking about Nick Gordon a few months ago as a potential non-tender candidate, just because mm-hmm. he didn't really have a fit on the roster. He was coming off of a bad and then injury wrecked season, and so uh, I just didn't think there would be that much interest in him at all. And they ended up getting like a pretty decent major league caliber caliber reliever. He didn't have his best year last year, but prior to that, he had two or three pretty solid years all in a row with the Marlins. So uh, he's a left-handed guy, another guy who maybe gives you a little field bar insurance. If he continues a little bit of his decline that he's shown Uh, and more importantly pushes Cody Funderburk to triple a where, you know, maybe he deserves a spot on the major league roster, but he's depth for if someone is bad or someone gets hurt. So uh, yeah, John, what are your thoughts on Steven Okert here? Hey, I had him on my fantasy team for like two weeks, I think like a couple years back. So clearly he has some name recognition. <laughs> um, that being said, though, at, at that time, the Marlins had like a kind of a, a walking door through there, uh, just a revolving door through their closer position. So it's not that surprising. Um, honestly, the, the the thing for me is that they got value for Nick Gordon, which I right. think is huge. Uh, Gordon, at the end of the day, his role was kind of taken over by Willie Castro. Mm-hmm. And so having a backup, Utility man didn't make a ton of sense for the twins, especially one that doesn't play amazing defense. Um, And it didn't seem like the hit tool that was like so good in 2022 had stayed with him in 2023. So there's just even less reason to have him on the team. Obviously, you know, big clubhouse guy, Um, even though he was injured last year, you know, there was a lot of fun Nick Gordon clips throughout the season of him just kind of rooting the guys on, even though he was injured. But um, in terms of as as a baseball player, you know, just just maybe not as much value for for Gordon. So being able to get a guy like Okert, which again huge in the fact that they get two major league lefties on their roster, they don't need to bring in Cody Funderburg, who showed some signs showed some yeah. signs of, of 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 interest last season, but you know, not to the point where it's like, oh yeah, this guy's going to be like our de facto like number one lefty in, in the pen. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I Okert's. Fine, really good strikeout stuff. Um, I think that that's what you need from a lefty and just a guy. And it, and it gives them opportunities, right? If they use Thielbar a little early in the game um, and they need another lefty, you know, you're not sending out Funderburg anymore. You're sending out, you know, Stephen Okert, which isn't, which isn't too bad. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty similar to Bailey Ober and Louis Varland last year in the starting staff, right? Where they both mm-hmm. started down at AAA and then they both ended up getting plenty of innings for the uh, major league team as well. And I think that's kind of the plan with Funderburk and Aqua, right? As soon as somebody gets hurt, somebody's ineffective, they're going to be yep. the first guys back up. And I think they're still going to get plenty of innings for the Twins this year. However, it just gives you that depth so that 
you know, if they didn't bring in Jackson and Okert, well, then if somebody else gets hurt, then you're looking at, you know, Josh Winder becoming a really important part of your bullpen, which isn't mm-hmm. ideal. And yeah. so it just gives you a lot more insurance, a lot more depth, which is something that really, really saved the Twins last year when the injuries did end up coming. Um, yeah, and I want, I want to add the Willie Castro to the Willie Castro versus Nick Gordon. Um, you know, but this time last year, the roles were probably reversed. Willie Castro wasn't even on the 40-man roster. He was a spring training invite. Um but I think the main difference between them also is one, Willie's a switch hitter and the twins need more right-handed help than left-handed help. And so that's a big deal. But then also where uh, Nick Gordon is a utility player more because he doesn't really field well anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willie Castro is a utility player who, you know, he plays great in left. He plays great at third. He plays great at second. He's passable in center and at short. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's just so much more valuable for a team that mostly needs defensive versatility than another left-handed left fielder, which is essentially what Nick Gordon is best suited as at this point versus on the Marlins. He's going to get a little bit more chance to play in their outfield mix because it's jazz chisel and a bunch of righties. And so he'll get a good chance to play in left and right in their outfield. And then, you know, if you really need some uh, help in the infield, he can play second or short in a pinch, but their, uh, their defense over there is going to be interesting with uh, Tim Anderson at short, Arise at second, Nick Gordon factoring into that mix. It's uh, probably not great, uh, but maybe they have a good enough pitchers that it doesn't matter. Well, it's also the Marlins, so they just could be terrible. <laughs> That's always possible, too. Theoretically, they're trying to win, but I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical. With that roster? I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I love their pitchers. Every offseason, I mean, they finally oh, got one in Pablo. But yeah. every offseason, I'm like, all right, can we get can we get Lizardo? Can we uh, m- maybe even uh, Max Meyer? I think you mentioned him a couple weeks ago. It's like, man, there's some, they're really good at developing their pitchers over there. Yuri Perez looks like an ace already. And he's what? Oh, 20? yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yuri Perez is like one of my favorite players in the league right now. Um, yeah. And he he he's also not going to pitch a full season this year because the Marlins are like, we're going to keep him on a, on a we're going to have him on an innings limit. And I'm just really annoyed by that but. i know that's well last note about the marlins but then we get back to our twins related programming but they traded away pablo lopez who's now a al cy young contender they lost sandy alcantara who won the cy young in 2022 um he is out for the season recovering from tommy johns and they still have enough depth where it's like hey they're looking at maybe trading lizardo or edward cabrera or someone because they still have so many guys that are good it's crazy yeah, they, they have a really good pitching pipeline down there. That being said, though, it does kind of dry up after Max Meyer. Uh, so, uh, well, Devin Smeltzer, actually, also on the Marlins. Old oh, who can forget? Yeah. <laughs> twins twins le- legend with the 89-mile-an-hour fastball, Devin Smeltzer. I remember there were there were a lot of people in the comments uh, on Twinkie Town that were not happy that the, the Twins let him go, to which I would say, whatever. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah he would he'd be probably in the same role that uh, Cole Sands would be in right now. If that, at least Cole Sands has a little bit of life on his stuff, you know? <laughs> sure. Well, let's move to the, what I think has been the uh, most telling news of the offseason, which is uh, Joel Polat, uh, the new face of the ownership group. I'm not entirely convinced he has that much power to make decisions or anything. He is uh, Jim Polad's nephew, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But he is kind of the guy who's, been i think he got promoted to uh whatever head of the poll ad company now so he's technically the public facing uh voice for everything but i know there's still a lot of uh power that goes to jim and the rest of the poll ad family behind him so um i I don't know if this is a joe poll ad rant that i'm going to go on here so much as just a poll ad family rant but let's get into it um the main thing to take away from this was that he was uh doing a radio interview and he you know pretty bluntly said the twins are not going to be you know 
adding another $30 million to the payroll. They need to right-size their business, uh, aka the payroll is down at you know the 120 to 130 range and don't plan on it getting any bigger than that going forward. So um, I, I, here's the thing. I think that's not surprising, but yes. it comes on the heels of them going back on what they said earlier in the offseason about we're going to try to make the games more accessible to Twin Cities fan, right? And I don't live in the Twin Cities anymore. Mm-hmm. However, you know, just on behalf of the people that do live there and the people that, um, you know, are looking to watch the games, it's like, okay, not great. They took the money. Well, if you're going to take the money, at least then put it back into the team. Right? Mm-hmm. No, we're not, we're not going to be doing that either. And so I, I get from a business standpoint that there is legitimate reasons for doing this, right? 2020, the COVID year, I know uh, teams that aren't the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the big market teams took a real big hit from so much of that season being canceled um, and no fans being able to come, right? So that's a big part of it. I know that the Twins being bad in 2021 and 2022 when they really wanted to be good, uh, the payroll was higher. That really made a hit on them. I would just say with this, it's especially discouraging coming off of the playoff win, the first playoff win that they've had in two decades, the first playoff series win they've had in almost two decades. And then the fact that there's no real AL powerhouse right now that would stop them from being perennial World Series contenders, right? The Rangers are going to be good. The Rangers are riddled with injuries. And we don't know what any of those pitchers are going to look like when they come back. The Astros are getting old very fast. Uh, The Yankees have Juan Soto and Aaron Judge and everything else is whatever. Garrett Cole, too. And so there's nobody really in the entire American League that I think is better set up than the Twins to have a long-term run of success if they could bump that payroll, not even like past what it was last year, just up to the 145, 150 it was at. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's where it gets really frustrating, combined with the fact that this team right now, I think they're at, what, 125, 130, something like that off the top of my head. Already next year, they have like 115 committed to the salary, uh, to the uh, cap because uh, Buxton's contract is on the table. Pablo's contract goes up from like eight and a half million to 21 million. Correa's goes up from 33 to 36. And uh, there's a Christian Vasquez is on at 10. There's a few other guys like that, right? And that's before even getting into anything with arbitration, with other signings. You have to replace Max Kepler in right field. And the the roster next year, even if you just bring everybody back as is, is going to be around 145-ish, I would guess, which means guys are going to get traded away. Um, I don't know who. I don't know what that will mean. But somebody you like on this team probably isn't going to be on the team next year. And so it's not even that you can't improve this team now. It's that in 2025 and 2026, if you're really not going to be pushing that payroll up, you're going to lose guys and you're going to be in a worse position. So I've gotten like half of my rant out of the way. John, what are your thoughts here before I get to the other half? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I kind of – I think my stance is – I'm okay with him not saying that they're not pursuing the big free agents because $30 million is a lot of money. Right. And I get that, you know, with, with the whole TV stuff and all that good stuff, you know, like it, it, there's a very good chance that the $55 million that they got last year from Bally that um, they, they definitely did not recoup all of that. And there's a good chance that they probably didn't recoup more than 50%. Um, um, so let, let, let me push back on that because we know that the other teams got 85%. Yeah. They got a 15% cut. Yes. But they already had cut. contracts in, in right. place. Minnesota However, was renewing a new one. Is a and so we problem. don't, you, yeah, you're right that we don't know. However, I think the fact that they 
um, specifically said in the uh, settlement that they don't want these new terms released means sure. it's probably closer to 85% than it is 50%. Right? Okay, fair. Yeah. So, yeah. Let, I mean, that's uh, that's like what, a 15 million cut probably, something like yeah, that. Yeah, so it's like 40, 45 million. Yeah. All right. So them not going for a $30 million free agent, I, I get that. And, and that's fine. Yeah. I, I think the things that stand out to me are that the idea of that right-sizing twins payroll for the market, because as much as people, as much as the owners love to throw on this idea of market size, like the twin cities is actually like a pretty decent market size compared to the rest of the major leagues. Yeah. I mean, they're obviously not top 10 or anything, but they aren't like bottom 10 either. You know, they're like middle of the pack, like yeah. 16 to 14, depending on, you know, where people move year to year. Exactly. So they they are a middle market team. And for them to yep. spend at a lower than that number. Bottom I third. Think, yeah. Would, is kind of a disservice to the market that they're in. Um, in addition, you know, if you break it down in terms of just inflation money and stuff like that, um, the money that they're spending this year really isn't that much more than, you know, inflation just and then the money that they're spending in like, you know, what we like to joke is the poverty years, right? Yeah. Um, the, the piranha years where literally they were just picking up guys, not off the street, but just bargain bin people that they could just pay little to no money for. Um, and, Sam and Fold, squeeze something for out. example. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, the really rough years when they, you know, people love to blame Joe Maurer for his big contract, but it really was just the twins not not spending any sort of money at all. Um, so I think I think the part when they said they're right sizing, I think frustrates me. Um, it does feel like they're kind of just hoping that there's enough goodwill from the 2023 season to, um, you know, make enough money to in in this season to break even. But the, we haven't talked about this on the pod. The, the Twins announced, I think, for the month of April that they were going to be closing off the the upper deck for for yeah. games like all all the games are going to be lower level tickets but then the weird thing that they decided to do was then um if you if you're a season ticket holder and you have an upper deck seat you basically get you you will not have to pay more to get a lower deck seat for the games that you have season tickets for now obviously then it helps that when the people who are just buying tickets that don't have season tickets they have to pay for a lower level seat it'll be a little bit more expensive than what they had for you know an upper deck seat yada 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 I just feel like that's just a really bad way to start the season when you, you know, basically take out what, maybe 40% of your available seating. Um, yeah. Is it a logical thing because it's Minnesota in April? Yeah, I, I get it. But it does mean that they are also kind of reducing the amount of money that they can make in April. Um, yeah. Are the do I think that they're going to make a lot more money with this strategy? No, I don't think so. So to me, it just feels like a weird move financially i i mean yes attendance has did not break two million last year hopefully it breaks two million this year and they get more money but then for them to say that we want to right size for the next couple of years it just makes me feel like what you said that next year they're either going to have to trade some guys to bring their their uh payroll down right. um or or they're going to maybe actually try to spend and get back up to like being a mid-market team so all that to say I'm I'm disappointed that they said they they were right sizing for the for the next few seasons. If it was yeah. just this season that they're like, hey, you know, this money situation, we don't know what's going on, so we can't go. But in you know the next few years, when we actually have an idea of like you know consistent revenue from TV money and stuff like that, like we'll go back to where we were previously. I would be fine with that conversation, but I think them saying yeah. the the whole term of right sizing to me just is annoying yeah. because if anything, they are they're 
short sizing. I don't know if that's the term, but yeah. you know, they're they're below right sizing essentially. Yeah. It's it's they're they're making drastic cuts, right? Like I said, it's thir- it's thirty million off of last year, and that's yeah. with you know each year just with inflation and everything, right? That should be going up at least 10%, right? And they Mm -hmm. take a 30% cut. And like you said, my bigger issue is not that it's a cut this year, right? Because even if you went out and you said, hey, you know, we're going to go offer the contract Cody Bellinger just got, we're going to offer that to Blake Snell, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because yeah, Blake Snell has flaws, but is he probably still the second best pitcher on this staff if you bring him in? Absolutely, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, you do something like that, sure, whatever, it's a one-year thing, that's fine. Uh, Where... And again, maybe you want Blake Snell, maybe you want Jordan Montgomery, maybe you want Matt Chapman. Honestly, I'm fine with not signing any of those because I think all of those players are deeply flawed and there's a reason they're still free agents. There's a reason yep. Cody Bellinger signed for you know the, a lower version of the Carlos Correa deal uh, the first time around. But the issue is going forward, right? It's, it wasn't that, hey, you know, this is a one-year blip, but don't worry, we're going to get back to where we want to be, that middle of the pack range. It was, no, this, this is what to expect going forward. Joe, pa- Joe Polat specifically said, quote, there are other ways to win, which is ownership speak for we're, we're not going to pay people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think they had done a good job of, shape, of shaking the cheap Polad narrative, right? They uh, extended Byron Buxton. They signed, they traded for and then immediately extended Pablo Lopez. They signed Carlos Correa twice, right? Those mm-hmm. are three big time moves that past versions of the Twins just don't make. Um, outside of Joe Maurer, really, there was not really any precedent for something like that happening. Um, and so that I think was a good sign and all those contracts are still in those books. All those players are still going to be here. But with all of that now, does that mean, okay, Royce Lewis, you're now in your second year of arbitration. You're going to cost us say $10 million. Uh, sorry, you're out of here, right? We're going to trade you now and get, get some value, right? That that's the raise model essentially. And he specifically referenced the raise, um, which is what they look to do every year, right? They trade out Tyler Glass now. Uh, they know they were looking very seriously at trading Randy Rosarena and Isaac Paredes, right? As they start to get into those second, third years of arbitration, let's trade them out, let's get value back. Um, and let's see if we can build this thing long-term when the real method for sustained sustained success is both, right? You have to have the payroll and you have to develop the players. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to do both at the same time. That's what makes the, makes the Dodgers so good. People love to point to the Dodgers like, oh, it's just the money. It's just the money. Like, yeah, obviously the money helps, right? You get Shohei Otani out of it. You extend Mookie Betts. You sign Freddie Freeman. But I think the bigger thing for the last decade for the Dodgers is the guys like Will Smith, Max Munsky, Justin Turner, Kike Hernandez, who we're going to talk about more in a second here. Um, you know, on the pitching side, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, uh, Dustin May, all of, all of these guys that they have are guys that they've developed internally and they've turned into these top level players. And then they went out and supplemented them with the big money guys. That's how you win. And the Twins kind of had started to build that same, uh, you know, kind of long-term strategy with, I feel like they've done a very good job developing players with the current core they have around Julian Lewis um, on the pitching staff, Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober. Uh, and then they went out and supplemented it with Carlos Correa, with Pablo Lopez, with Christian Vasquez, right? All these guys that you couldn't figure out yourself. Well, that's when you spend and you fill in those gaps. And now um, that's just not going to happen anymore. Apparently. Yeah. It- it is extremely disappointing to kind of hear that. And I mean, like for all the talk about, you know, payroll and stuff like that, like where the twins were at payroll last year, um, basically the number of teams that made the playoffs below their payroll, uh, I think there was only three of them, the diamondbacks, the Orioles and the Rays and Orioles are unique. Actually Orioles and diamondbacks both unique because they have really, really good young players, right. Who, yeah, in probably three, four years will cost them a lot of money. 
And yep. so it's going to be up to them to figure out what to, what to do there. Um, you know, the Rays are kind of the unique scenario, right? Where, like you mentioned, they kind of just trade these guys, but they always have a really deep, um, uh, deep prospect, uh, deep, deep farm system. And yep. it's not to say that the twins have a bad farm system. They have a top 10 farm system, probably by what most people rank farm yep. systems at. Um, but they also have the capability of spending, you know, more money if they, if they really, um, if they really try. So, and, and obviously we're not asking them to be the Dodgers. We're just asking them to build the pack. Yeah. We're, we're basically just hundred, 150 million, right? That we're yeah. not, we're not asking for anything super outlandish. We're not expecting a $200 million payroll anytime soon, but um, you know, being able to be firmly at league average, I think that w- I think a lot of fans would be okay with that. And uh, yeah, I, yeah it, it's not that much more money. Yeah. Um, I, I want to make two more points here and then we can move on. The first one, um, it's the lowest level of spending since the Metrodome days when adjusted for inflation. And I think mm-hmm. that's an important thing to point out. Uh, I mentioned this in my article uh, when the news first came out, but I think it's important to remember that Target Field is 75% taxpayer funded, right? Yep. Minnesotans paid for 75% of that stadium. And you do that because the contract, you know, the kind of silent contract you have with ownership is, hey, we're going to do this for you, but you need to do something for us. Mm-hmm. And to, again, to the pole ed's credit, I think they've done that for the most part, um, the last you know five six years especially. Yeah, um, and I think all that goodwill has kind of been thrown away with how they've treated this off season. Um, and so, uh, I, I've gotten feedback before when I complain about ownership. That's like, oh, it's not your money. You don't get to tell them how to use it. I'm like, to an extent, I agree. Right? Obviously, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't own their money. However, I can tell them, hey, as a fan, I don't find this acceptable. Right? I don't. I don't think that's okay. And that's how you kind of have to hold ownership accountable, right? The other thing I want to point out just in terms of billionaires is I think it's also important for me to throw out. I'm anti-billionaire in general. I don't think they should exist. However, if they're going to exist, I think it's important to point out that the twins aren't their only business. They own hundreds of businesses in Minnesota around the twin cities um, that they make hand and fist over, even if they're not making hand and fist over the twins, which I'm again, again, not convinced that that's the case. Mm-hmm. And so I would always say to any billionaire who owns a team, if you don't like the cost that goes along with owning that, sell it because there's so many other billionaires that would love to own a team and that will put in the money to do it. And so um, that that's always my thing. We're like, oh, we don't have the money. We don't have the money. You bought the team for $44 million back in the, uh, what, 1980s. Uh, if you sell it now, I think the twins are worth $1.4 I think is what I looked at. It's a 30 times uh, improvement over your investment, which... I don't know, man. I, I think you'd be pretty well off if you just did that. So um, that that's kind of one side of it. The other side I want to uh, stick with as well here is I think it's very important to just keep separate um, the front office versus ownership. Mm-hmm. Right? This isn't Derek Falvey's decision. I think Derek Falvey is one of the five best GMs in baseball, decision makers in baseball. And there's a reason that other teams try to poach him every offseason. The Red Sox have tried to get him on three different occasions, and he's told them no for some reason on three different occasions. Um, and there's a reason for that. He's really good at his job, and I think he's had an excellent offseason off within the restraints that he was given from ownership. Uh, and this is not Derek Falvey or Thad Levine or anybody else's decision to cut the payroll $30 million, right? Mm-hmm. It makes their job way easier if they have this money. Um, but given the restraints, you know, sending out Polanco and getting back uh, two major league pieces and two prospects on top of it, um, turning Nick Gordon into an MLB caliber reliever, um, the small signings that they've made along the way. I think he's done an excellent job given the constraints. However, you know, the constraints overall make it a pretty underwhelming offseason, I would say. Yeah. I, and I think my probably closing statement is like, it probably wasn't the best interview, 
But <laughs> no. let, let's just say if if the Twins do well this season, right? Attendance breaks, you know, two million, and it, it actually like looks pretty solid for what they're able to. It, attendance looks pretty decent, right? And yep. all the outside factors. Uh, and let's just say they have a whole season to figure out this whole TV thing, right? They they could figure out, they could do their market research, and understand how much they need to be, you know, if they decide to not go with Valley, which that that's probably what's going to happen because Diamond Sports is probably going to collapse. Um, if they decide, hey, this maybe you know Amazon's not pushing into the MLB space, and they're willing to give us this much money to, or you know, MLB as a whole. Rob Manfred has talked about this, and I mean, he is you know, kind of the devil incarnate. But that being said, you know, he has said <laughs> next year, we're going to try to package this 15 team deal. Yeah. All these guys, their contracts are up. We're trying to package basically half of MLB to some service and they're going to, you know, pay us money to that. And let's just say the twins get a, a good chunk of that money. And then they decide to go to spend. All will be forgiven. Right. Yeah. But the comments made last week about the future seasons just feels just doesn't feel great. Uh, but yeah. if, but if they decide, if they decide, you know, come November winter meetings times, like, hey, actually, revenue looked pretty good, and uh, we know that we're going to get this deal from fill in big corporation here to to give us, you know, fifty million dollars in TV money. Then, uh, yeah, let let's let's actually spend some more and uh, make this a team that's worth that that is, uh, you know, worth rooting for. Yeah, I, I think it's a chicken the egg thing, right? I think because of the uh, lack of enthusiasm around this off season, mm-hmm. I think attendance might not be as good as they want it to be, but if they would have spent a little bit more, they're prop like not even spend a bunch, but just how about 140, right? Instead mm-hmm. of, instead of just bump it down a little bit instead of growing it, right? If you just do something like that. Um, and again, you don't have to um, go sign Blake Snell, but if your payroll was 140, you could have come up with some interesting structure to keep Sonny Gray, for example, right? We're yep. paying mm-hmm. 20 million this year and 25 the next, right? Something like that, um, where you just kind of keep the momentum going, keep the positive vibes. But again, chicken and the egg is they want the attendance to come first. Fans want the team to come first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's important to remember too through all of this. I think the Twins are the overwhelming favorite to win the division. I don't yeah. think it's particularly close. Right. This is a very good team as is. Carlos Correa, uh, when all this happened, said, hey, I like where we're at. I like this team. And I completely agree with them. Yeah. However, wouldn't it be nice to have, you know, Blake Snell or Sonny Gray instead of Anthony Scalfani? I would say yes. <laughs> all right. Anything would be better than Tony Disco. <laughs> I know. I know you hate him for some reason. I'm kind of like he's gonna be fine, but I, just, I know your answer. I mean, he's a number. He's a he's a f- number five pitcher. I'm I'm just never gonna love those guys unless they're like guys who have a little bit more uh, more potential behind them. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, uh, I guess this one, this last point that I have is kind of related, but spring training related news. Let's get into that. Uh, first year, I, I want to talk about Kike Hernandez, who supposedly is having a LeBron-like decision where he's going to make uh, his choice of team, they said, Sunday night or Monday. Who knows? Maybe it's happened while you've been recording here. But uh, Kike Hernandez, the utility infielder, he's been on the Red Sox the last couple of years. He's probably most famous for his years with the Dodgers. Um, he is... Not a good hitter anymore. He has theoretical positional value where he can play all over the field. I don't think he's particularly good at almost any of those positions except for second base at this point. Uh, however, the Twins are one of the four finalists for Kike Hernandez's services. And the reason I think this is a little bit more related to the Joel Polad stuff is that he is technically a fit in that he's a right-handed guy who can theoretically play center field. However, uh, he's probably also going to cost like one and a half, two million $2 million versus someone like Michael A. Taylor who's going to be more in the, you know, 
$8 million range probably when it's all said and done, or Tommy Duvall or Tommy Pham, Adam Duvall in that same vein. Uh, Kike Hernandez seems like the worst of both worlds. If that's the guy they get to kind of fill this last hole that they have, because he's not a good enough hitter um, to justify playing him really anywhere. And he's not a good enough fielder to fill in for Buxton in center field whenever Buxton misses time, which will happen eventually. Or even if he doesn't miss extended time, he's going to need, you know, three days off a week from center field. And so, um, I don't know. I, I'm pretty unenthused by this. And if this is how they fill the last hole on their roster, I, I won't be super pumped, but I guess he's better than Austin Martin marginally. Maybe. I don't know. What are your thoughts on Kike Hernandez? Yeah. For, for me, Hernandez has always been more of an infielder guy, which the, the, the twins already traded by Jorge Blanco, you know, like they, right. they don't need and they have infielders. Kyle farmer to be the kind of the right-handed utility infielder. Right. Exactly. So for him to be the center field option to me, doesn't make any sense um because i would argue probably that willie castro actually probably can probably yeah. play better defense than than hernandez yeah. um, i don't have the defensive stats in front of me but th- that's just gut feeling um i also kind of want to push back i don't think michael a taylor is going to get an eight million dollar contract i hope not because that makes him more likely to come back to minnesota <laughs> yeah i mean I, i'm not saying randall gritchick is the greatest comp uh, because I would probably say Michael e. Taylor probably has a has better defense, but Gritchick probably has a better bat. Um, it's probably debatable. Who had, uh, Taylor had an amazing season last year for being the nine hole hitter. So there is that. Yeah. Um, Gritchick got like a, what a one point five million dollar deal. Yeah, I think um, it was two, but yeah, some, yeah two million with with the with uh, the Diamondbacks. Yeah. I if Michael e. Taylor gets more than four at this point, I would be surprised because yeah. he isn't that much. He's what thirty two, I think. So he's not young by any yeah. stretch of the imagination he's going to get a one-year deal that that's probably the best that he can get and yeah. at the end of the day he's still more of a defensive guy than than a than than the guy who you're signing for his bat and so to me if you're going to spend money why not just spend a couple million more for for michael a taylor than i know and, and i think Hernandez. yeah that's the point i was trying to get across right is michael a taylor just makes so much more sense because he still plays you know, maybe he's not peak, peak Michael A. Taylor defense, but I still think he's one of the like 10 best defensive center fielders in the game, right? Which um, if you're not going to get the offense, you would like that. Michael A. Taylor had his best offensive year last year by far. Yeah. Um, he was a better hitter than Kike Hernandez. Um, and so I, I'm just – the only way that Kike Hernandez makes sense over uh, Michael A. Taylor is if it's money, is if the difference between that – $2 million and $4 million, you know, they've been given a hard top level by uh, the poll ads. And it's just like, Hey, well, we can't afford four, five, six, whatever Michael A. Taylor ends up being. We can't afford mm-hmm. that. And so yeah. we have to go with the two for Kike. And so that's kind of where, where my big issue is. I don't think the twins would prefer that either, but this just might be the maximum range that they're able to play with right now. It, yeah. I mean, it just seems it seems crazy that they wouldn't chip over another like let's be generous four million another right, four million above six. hernandez right. right yeah like to me it just doesn't I, I get not going for the 30 million guy but not going for a six yeah. million guy come on like the, yeah. we're not that poor um if you want the offense you go with fam if you want the defense you go with taylor that's pretty much the whole thing to me right and you're choosing neither yeah although my sneaky pick is adam duvall i he would be a lot of fun, but he also can't play center. So there's it, it, yeah. he would be 
basically pushing Matt Walner off, which I don't love. Um, yeah, it's uh, basically with both Hernandez and Duvall, it's both Red Sox players that they put in center field for some reason quite a bit the last two seasons. And uh, probably a little stretch there, but at least, I don't know, they put Joey Gallo out there for like 10 games. So maybe it's not the end of the world <laughs> if it's a few games there. I mean, honestly, we've said this a billion times. I know it's never going to happen. But if 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 Buxton somehow manages to play like every three out of four days in the outfield, just freaking the Twins will win a hundred games if that happens. To be honest, okay. Well, just move Max Kepler to center for that other that one <laughs> that one game that Buxton's not playing. Yeah, it, it's not going to hurt him any more than you know whatever. I'm yeah, just, I'm just annoyed that he's just been so resistant to be playing center field. I know, and, and it does seem like it would solve a lot of the Twins' problems. Yeah, exactly. Like again, he's not playing there full time. He just play there like you know once or twice every week. Yeah. Well, uh, there's the Kike Hernandez news. I suppose we'll know probably like this time tomorrow if he's with the Twins or not. I'm still hoping not because maybe that'll <laughs> get them to uh, push the money towards someone else. But I think any of those three of Taylor, Fam, or Duvall would be pretty clear upgrades over Hernandez, not even particularly close. Yes, yeah. It, it, at least for Fam and Duvall, definitely at the bat. Maybe not in defense. It's probably Hernandez is probably, probably a about better. Wash. But yeah, it, it's probably a coin flip. But yeah, Michael A. Taylor to me just makes a lot of sense for this team. I know everybody knows him. Everybody likes him. Just yeah. bring him on back. You yeah, know? Unless he like really pissed off someone in, in the, in the front office or something. I, but I can't imagine. He seems like a very quiet, relaxed guy. Yeah, exactly. so who knows? All right, let's get into uh, some more encouraging news. Some of the good stuff that we've seen from spring now that we're 45 minutes into this podcast. But uh, the good news is that everybody's healthy except for Josh Winder, who doesn't matter anyway because he wasn't going to be on the opening day roster. So uh, Buxton is completely healthy and just, you know, there's been clips of him hitting balls off the wall in batting practice. He's been uh, shagging balls in center field, which shouldn't be a big deal for a former platinum glove center fielder, but is a big deal for Byron Buxton. Uh, which is just awesome to see. Uh, in that same vein, Carlos Correa said he's pain-free uh, basically for the first time since April or May last year, and so really hoping that his bat picks up. And I think it can't be emphasized enough that there's no off-season addition the Twins could have made that are more important than just Buxton and Correa being healthy and productive. If they look like they're 2022-2021 versions of, the, of themselves, again, the Twins are going to run away with this division, I think, approach winning 100 games if they look like the uh, – 2023 versions of themselves. I think they're still going to run away with the division, but maybe they just win 90. Hey, uh, that still wins the division and gets you into the playoffs. So, yeah, uh, I know I'm a lot more optimistic on the uh, twins preseason outlook than you are, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not necessarily like not optimistic. I just feel like this feels like very much like 2022 when it was like the twins are like the clear runaway favorite, but yeah, there's that, this Lee Cleveland team. That's got some young guys, but this year, instead of Cleveland, the the team I'm actually somewhat worried about is the Kansas City Royals. No, John, I was just about to bring up a joke about them. <laughs> I keep I, on seeing stuff on the internet about how, like, oh, the Royals are sneaky good. Like, no, they're not. They're Bobby Here, Witt, the and that's pretty much it. I Again, this is somewhat off topic. I, I thought Michael Walker and Seth Lugo are just really bad pickups. But also, like, they could – it's better than whoever they've had in the fourth and fifth spot oh, for, totally. for, the, for the past few seasons. The fact that they actually have like, again, reliable pitching is a, t- is, is maybe a stretch, but they actually have pitching. Um, yeah. And if Bobby Wood jr. Just kind of goes off and then a bunch of other, and a, you know, let's just say Vinny P is like kind of solid. Uh, Salvi Perez has like a, a decent year and MJ Melendez actually turns out to be something not terrible. Like that team is scary uh, and no, and everyone's going to count them out from, from, from the opening day. 
Have you uh, looked up Salvi's like defensive catching stats? Like, oh, I know they're the terrible. He's going to be DHing the entire <laughs> it's year. It's so funny. He's but, awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing with that team is, it's. I mean, they've MJ MJ Melendez is basically they've, they've said he's not going to play catcher because and he's Sal- also terrible, and, and Salvi can't play yeah. catcher either because he's he's also awful. So they actually have three catchers on their team, which I think is so funny. Yeah, it's a uh, it's kind of like the old college quarterback thing. If you have two quarterbacks, you have none. If you have three catchers, you probably have none. That's <laughs> true. Uh, but yeah, though no, that I, I am not confident in the Royals. I, I do think what you're saying is true, though. Is league average pitching for them is such a huge step forward given where they've been the last like five years. Yeah. Uh, Cole Reagans, I think, looked really, really good. But you're running off of a you know like two month sample, and the rest of his career he wasn't very good. And so maybe <laughs> that's real, maybe that's not. Uh, but still, even if you get top tier production from Reagans, from Whip, from Pasquantino, there's still the rest of the roster that I'm not super confident. Yeah, I mean, so, if we're being honest, it's it's really. Chicago, you can kind of count out that that team's just going to be. They're, yeah, they're going to be one of the worst teams of the league. Yeah, but Detroit, Cleveland, and the Royals, I would not be surprised if one of those teams like gives the Twins a run for the money in the middle of the season and like maybe yeah, yeah. similar to Cle- how Cleveland did it, like takes over first place for like three days and everyone freaks out and then yeah. the Twins handle business. But it it's it it is going to be an easy division, but it's not as easy as I think people are cutting it out to be. Yeah, I, I think I'm much more worried about Cleveland than the rest, just because Cleveland last year seemed to have like the year from hell where everything went wrong, except mm-hmm. for Tanner Bybee and Gavin Williams. Yep. You know, Mackenzie and Bieber missed so much time. And, uh, you know, Jose Ramirez hit well, but not as well as he usually does. Josh Naylor started really cold, then got really hot. Stephen Kwan just lost all sense of power. And so everything kind of went wrong for them on the offensive side. I think they're not as bad as they were last year, uh, but I don't also don't think, you know, the Tigers are another team that people have talked about. It's like, Oh, you know, they have sneakily decent starting pitching and, you know, Treek school takes another step forward and mm-hmm. some of their prospects look a little bit better. Uh, I think, you know, it's pretty clearly that it's twins, Cleveland Tigers, Royals, and then uh, Chicago all the way down to the bottom by themselves. Yeah. I mean, Hey, look, Fangraphs has the Twins projected for 84 wins. That's not exactly comfortable, but hey, it, it wins the division. So. Yeah, I, I would still go higher than that just because I think if they got last season's Curry and Buxton, that's probably around where they're at, and I'm expecting them to be better. I'm expecting Joe Ryan to be better. Right. It'll probably come out to be about a wash. And that's where this news about health is like huge, but yeah. you know, it was also the same news that we had last year. I think the difference is Buck is like clearly healthy as yeah. opposed to last year where he was, you know, not playing in the outfield and just yep. DHing every game. Um, and Korea, it sounds like the whole plantar fasciitis thing, even though you know, Minnesotan fans are a little scarred by that. Uh, it sounds like that's resolved itself, so yeah. yeah. And as long as they're healthy, you're going to get full seasons from Lewis and from Julian, who I think will both perform well, probably not honestly as well as they did for those long, really hot stretches last year, but still, even if you get 130, 140 games of you know, an 800 to 850 OPS. I think that's pretty great. Matt Walner, I'm a little more skeptical on, but again, you get full seasons of these guys as opposed to Joey Gallo or, uh, you know, a lot of Kyle Farmer at third base last year as well. Hey, Joey Gallo in that first month was great. Joey Gallo for like a week was great. And then for the (laughs) that that week really carried his stats for a long stretch there. I remember looking at him in fantasy, like in like June, I was like, wow, he's actually like kind of decent. And then that's when the, that's when the, the drop started. 
Yeah. Um, also, to, in that same vein, Anthony Scalfani, uh, John's arch nemesis, along with Chris Paddock, actually. You, yeah. you have quite a few nemeses on uh, this team. But. I just don't believe in those guys. <laughs> Di Scalfani and Stamont uh, are both healthy as well, which is important because they uh, both ended with season-ending injuries last year, but they came in 100%. Uh, normal schedule. They'll be ready to go opening day. So always good stuff there. I don't think either of those guys are going to uh, – make or break things for the twins however they do kind of end the last positional battles for the twins if there were any of the last bullpen spot mm-hmm. uh and then you're kind of the final rotation spot between di scofani and varland maybe varland's better maybe he's not but just since he has options uh it'll be right. di scofani to start the season yep unfortunately uh, let's uh let's talk about chris paddock john you you take the lead here since i know you love him so much <laughs> yeah, i'll try uh, yeah, he was the Twins spring training opening day starter against the vaunted University of Minnesota Gophers. Um, pitched about 40 pitches, 38 actually total. Um, the only thing to note really, and you know, there's been plenty of reporting on this already, uh, he came out with a new slider, um, which the, uh, the official baseball term is a gyro slider, which basically just imagine throwing a spiral on a football, but instead of a football, it's a baseball. So uh, the thing with that type of pitch is that it, basically is designed to look like a fastball uh, to the batters until it just kind of drops out of the zone Um, with fastballs. You know, there's kind of it's that they don't necessarily go up, but they don't go down as fast as gravity brings a pitch down when you're facing it. It kind of looks like it's going up. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just because it's falling slower than it yeah. uh than it should be but a gyro slider because it's you know with that spiral shape it falls normally as as gravity would affect it um and basically the goal is hey if you're if your fastball and your slider kind of tunnel with each other and look similar you're going to get more whips because a guy thinks it's a fastball coming to him and until it just completely drops out of the zone so for him i think this is a good good idea it works well with yeah. his other pitch was a curveball which drops even further right and so um in terms of having a, a decent pitch mix, it, it could work out for him. Uh, I think you just want to see, does this have enough, uh, do, does this provide batters with enough confusion? And for him to at least try it out, that that's kind of the main thing to look at. But we won't know what it's going to be like until he's actually thrown it in, in real games. So um, yeah. that's that's just the thing with Paddock. I, I, I'm okay with him as a number four starter. The problem is he, well, I still think he's the number four starter on this team. I think Glover is better than him. So uh, with that respect, if he's able to develop something that makes him, let's just say, go five and a half innings instead of, yep. you know, out and four. Great. If, if a new pitch is what allows him to do that and, and is able to get strikeouts, then let, let's go with that. But that's kind of the main thing to to talk about his his opening day start. Yeah, um, I have a note here that's just spring training stats mean less than nothing, right? Especially yep. if you're facing uh, U of M. So yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into it. You know, maybe a guy gets hit hard, maybe he strikes out the side. Most of the time, what you're doing, especially in really early spring training, is you're tinkering with stuff, right? So maybe Paddock is trying this new slider, and if it doesn't work, you're never going to see it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is what the spring training games are for. You're going to face live batters. You're going to try out these new pitches. You're going to see what sticks. You're going to see what doesn't. Um, and you kind of saw this last year with Pablo Lopez and Joe Ryan, right? Pablo Lopez, that sweeper, it kind of took him a while to get trusting it, even as he got further into the season. Now then, by the end of the season, it's probably his best pitch. 
uh, Joe Ryan with the splitter. He's thrown it a lot at the beginning. It wasn't working as well as you would like. He kind of went away from it, came back to it at the end of the year, right? And you're going to kind of see that ebb and flow until it becomes a more established part of their pitch mix versus with like Pablo now. I think you're going to see that sweeper a lot more consistently. Uh, but I, I think it's kind of interesting here, kind of talking about Paddock and Varlin together because they essentially have the same issue. Uh, Paddock, granted, it was two years ago at this point, but it's getting out right-handed hitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're yep. going about it two different ways, which given both of their pitch, mix, pitch mixes and release angles, all that different stuff, I think makes sense where Paddock's going with, uh, you know, gyro slider, maybe a little bit more cutter type of movement to it mm-hmm. um, versus Varland is going with a sinker. Uh, and so they're kind of taking these two different paths to work on that big issue, which is all, which is uh, interesting. But again, given how they like to pitch, how they like to attack, I think makes sense for both of them. Yeah. Like with Paddock, his pitch mix is his pitch mix is fastball change or curveball slider. Right. Yeah. And so the curveball and the slider don't have a ton of horizontal break. The, the change up is kind of, you know, what he throws, you know, kind of into to righties. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, you know, maybe isn't as effective as he wants it to be. So having these pitches, which again, don't have a ton of horizontal uh, break, but they've got enough vertical break that you're able to, you know, throw it against righties and hoping that they, uh, you know, whiff on a pitch that looks inside, but actually ends up outside, something like that. Um, that's yeah, that's, that's a good thing to yeah. add to your arsenal. The changeup works great against lefties, right? That that's, that's kind yep. of the, the main use for it. And, um, but yeah, getting out righties that, that is, uh, He's going with the gyro slider, and and we'll see how it works yeah. for the rest of the uh, rest of spring training. Yeah, and, and also similar similarly, right? It's kind of the same thing where righties for both of them sitting on their fastballs essentially, and so they're yep. both using pitches that look like their fastballs and then move a little bit differently. So that yeah. basically, even if it's not a great pitch, you can just keep them off balance a little bit, mm-hmm. and honestly, that might be good enough to make it work. Right, and you know, moving on to Varlin, I think the the really encouraging thing about Varlin's start was that his again he was only limited to 40 pitches so uh maybe this this factored into it but he's also just starting to stretch out um but his fastball velocity was kind of where it was last season uh when he was relieving um it was you know averaging 96 miles an hour he touched 98 with the fastball which you know you really like to see there um he tossed this new pitch that he's working on which is the sinker um again just attacking righties inside um, that, you know, looked, looked pretty solid. I know he mentioned that he was, um, what, taking a little bit of velocity off the cutter because it's just, yeah. he can't throw it as hard in when he's on a kind of a starter regimen, but seeing that Makes fastball, sense. yeah, but seeing that fastball velocity kind of stay up there where it was when he was relieving, that's a really, really encouraging thing to see for Barland. Totally. And I think the nice thing too, is. I don't think the twins are necessarily banking on Paddock or Varland being playoff starters, right? Mm-hmm. And we've already seen that in a playoff setting, they can pitch excellently out of yes. that, right? Mm-hmm. Their, their stuff looks filthy for both of them once you lower them down to that one, two inning type of role. And so ideally, right, it's Pablo, Ryan, Ober, I think as your three playoff starters, if you need a fourth, you can figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you need guys to fill innings during the regular season, but kind of like we saw with Varland towards the end of last year, if you're getting into it and really you need to start looking towards how people are going to contribute most for the playoffs, you can mm-hmm. transition them again and kind of keep that going. If And then if one of them does step forward to be, you know, your second or third best starter, then great, even better. But either way, I think they both you know, have the repertoire and the experience to be really good playoff weapons. Yeah. I mean, and I think the, the big news for Varland 
um, is that he's going to be stretched as a starter in spring training, which again basically means he's not going to be part of that bullpen. Yeah, um, again, there wasn't already there wasn't space there for him, but this really emphasizes that the Twins want him to be a starter this season, at least for the regular season. Um, and so either he beats Tony Escofani, or because he has options, the Twins send him down. And similar to Bailey over last year, whenever they get an injury, um, yeah. they bring him up. Yeah, there he's going to get plenty of innings with the team. Somebody's going to miss, even if it's not like a serious season-ending injury, injury like Molly last year, right? Mm-hmm. Someone's going to miss four starts here, five starts there, and he'll come in and he'll fill those in and he'll do a great job. My bigger question for the rotation is who's the seventh guy, right? Is is that mm-hmm. Matt Cantorino? Is that Brent Hedrick? Is that Simeon Woods Richardson, who apparently is trying a different pitch slot? Who knows if that's going to matter? Um, but who's going to be that seventh guy? Because you really need seven guys who are going to get you know, a hundred plus innings in 2024. Um, and then, you know, an eighth guy like Dallas Keuchel is like, Hey, can you give us 50 good innings and see what happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the, the farm system. I think the only bright name right there is, is David Festa. And yeah. he's probably not ready to come up until mid season. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, but even then, you know, the, the first names that you're thinking of, because they're on the 40-man roster already, right, are Simeon Switzerland, are Matt Cantor, are Brent Hedrick. So, yeah, who fills in that number seven slot there will be. Um, yeah. Yeah, something interesting to think because, yeah, they a team will always need that guy, which yep. seems weird to talk about in, on, on, you know, in spring training, but you're going to need, you know, two or three good guys in AAA in order to yep. really have a full roster for the entire season. Yeah. Uh, well, I, in that same note, Matt Cantorino, I've kind of sk- – speculated and just assumed he was going to be moving to uh, relief given his stuff, his pitch mix and everything. Uh, but the Twins are still working him as a starter. He had did an interview who was talking about he wants to get to 125 innings this year, which is big for him after essentially missing two years. I don't think he's thrown more than like 40 innings in five years, something like that, because mm-hmm. basically he's been putting off this Tommy John surgery that he finally ended up getting for years. And so he feels like he's healthy. He's been working uh, normally over the winter. And so his goal for this year is 125, which I think would be great. Um, I think more likely than not, some of those will end up being with the Twins just because, again, their starting pitching depth isn't great. But with Matt Cantorino, he's 26. However, I think it's important to remember that his stuff, uh, at least pre-surgery, was some of the best in the minor leagues. He was striking out like 12, 13 guys per nine. Um, It just was absolutely filthy. And so if he can remain healthy, uh, he has the pitch mix. He has the stuff to really stick as a starter, uh, just I think the health is the biggest question, but I think the good thing with him is if it doesn't work out, I think he would be an excellent like eighth inning guy in the drawn drawn mold where maybe he doesn't even need that many minor league innings before he's ready to go there. Yeah. I mean, I remember when he was drafted out of rice, you know, kind of the classic thing people always say is like, Oh, you know, rice pitches, they've got ridiculous stuff, but they all end up being, you know, relievers. Yeah. Um, and if that ends up being Canarito's thing, it, it's not the worst outcome for him because it gives him an opportunity to probably be on the major league team. Yep. Um, but yeah, that I I think the Twins are going to let him be a starter as long as he seems healthy enough to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, if it comes to a point where it's like, no, this guy's really a better like a one inning guy, there's plenty of time to transition him to that. Totally. Because he's 26. Uh, I think he still has two option years remaining after last year. He has three. three. Okay. Well, Well, we're in a fan graph. He has three. So I I think I'm not entirely sure how it works if you spend the whole season on the injured list, if that counts as an option year. I always assumed it did, but maybe it doesn't. Either way, two or three years that you can kind of develop him and work with him. And, uh, 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't say he's a late bloomer like Joe Ryan so much as he just hasn't been healthy, right? I think if he was exactly. healthy, we probably would have seen him with the Twins, you know, maybe like two years ago. And so um, I, I think that's important. And he's going to put up better numbers in general in the minor leagues just because he's so much older than everybody, the other prospects that he's going to be facing. But again, mm-hmm. the, the stuff is really, really impressive, and I'm excited to see him back on the mound again. Yeah, I think the fun little nugget about him is that he's never had a strikeout rate lower than 33%. Is, th- is that good? I'm, I'm not sure. I think that's a pretty solid outcome. <laughs> oh, all right. Cool. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited for Cantorino. I like him a lot. But I think that's all we have. Do you have any uh, final early spring training notes here before we wrap up? Oh, uh, Again, the scores don't matter and the names are made up. <laughs> there's there's so many guys where I'm like, that guy's still in the league. Pablo Sandoval is in camp with the Giants. Like, I know. A coach, it's incredible. A also, it, today, I was t- today's game, which was over on the mound it was boston's uh, boston red sox versus the twins i was just kind of looking through you know the just the play-by-play because you know uh, ober somehow gave up four runs in, in the in the first in the first inning mm-hmm. and it was like error m hellman and i'm like i legitimately have no idea who this kid is it you don't know crazy. stolen base legend michael hellman come on no never heard of him <laughs> so um yeah it's, it's a great opportunity to see uh what's going on big note though emmanuel rodriguez played in center field today yeah, I, I that was okay. Actually, that's my last note. I want to make an Emmanuel Rodriguez note before. We yeah, yeah, go here. ahead. Um, but it's been very interesting as I've been kind of prospect licks have been coming out, and Emmanuel Rodriguez is always the one I'm most interested to read about because um, it feels like projections with him are so varied. Where some yeah. people are like, "Oh, he's going to be a future MVP because yeah. of the plate discipline," and some people are like, "Oh, he's actually a fourth outfielder because he's at, he doesn't have great place." plate discipline he's uh just too passive right yep. and since he's only played in the lower minors we don't have any like of the pitch level data we can really see what's going on and everything mm-hmm. and so from like a amateur scouting if you can even call it that standpoint like what i like to do i just have absolutely no idea of what to make of this guy mm-hmm. um however the more i read it seems the more people are very confident that he can stick in center field which completely changes the game for him right because everybody's assumed for a really long time that he's gonna have to move to left field or right field and he has a good arm he can make it work and be a good fielder there yeah. but if he can actually stick in center that's not just a big deal just for him you know as a trade chip or his valuation or anything like that mm-hmm. it's a big deal because byron buxton is getting old and the twins are going to need a center fielder and so if that can be emmanuel rodriguez that's that's pretty game changing yeah i mean there's still five years left on bucks and steel but if you just assume rodriguez probably finishes the season in triple a yeah um and he can stay in center and max kepler's contract is up yeah um, i mean he could be an opening day right fielder candidate next year potentially if everything goes move, right you could move buck to right you or know, that yeah that yes you still run into walls when you're in right field but you're Most not likely. putting as much stress on your legs compared to yeah. uh being in center so yeah center field you have to run for everything right field you know, thirty percent of the balls, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you know, the cool siding plays into into the foul line that might be disaster for, <laughs> for Buck, but yeah, yeah, that's true. Do you have your uh, your Louis Varlin? Not sorry, not Louis Varlin. Uh, Brooks Lee thoughts you want to get out while we're on prospects? So here, uh, and I I fully admit this is just like a half baked sort of um, uh, thought here. Best kind. Brooks Lee is the type of prospect that Terry Ryan would be salivating about. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true I, you are so right that's a very great description and it's 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 not a knock on him he's a he's a pretty decent hitter i just he's not a power hitter at all and that's not saying that all players need to be power hitters nowadays right but for a guy who is kind of feeling like a a pretty jam-packed infield 
if yeah. you're going to shove someone like um, uh, let Edward Julian off to first base because you're a better fielder at second, um, I, I don't know where the power is going to be coming from for this team when you have an infield that's made up of Carlos Correa, Brooks Lee, and Edward Julian, who all probably have like, what, 20 homer power, maybe. And then you have Royce Lewis at third. And then your outfield's like also like Matt Wallner's probably what, like their main power guy. If Emmanuel Rodriguez yeah. turns out well, maybe he's like also a power dude. But then whoever you have in right's probably like a not exactly, you know, yeah. huge power hitter. I don't know. It, again, there's nothing wrong with Brooks Lee. I, I think he he's going to turn out to be a really solid major leaguer if everything breaks out for him. But for being a guy who just like his main thing is his hit tool, I think he's got to show up a lot more in other stats rather than just being like a solid average hitter. Yeah, I, I think uh, he'll get some time to season at AAA, right? His first AAA experience wasn't great, which isn't crazy, right? Yeah. But uh, no, I, I think you're probably right there. What makes Lee, what makes people like Lee is that I think there's almost no scenarios where he's bad, right? Just a bad, sure. unplayable yeah. type of guy versus mm-hmm. Emmanuel Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. There's totally a scenario where he's just completely unplayable, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's why people tend to like Lee in general. But I agree that I don't think he has that top level ceiling right especially if he's a second baseman and not a shortstop which he probably mm-hmm. will be with carlos correa on the roster and royce lewis a third and maybe royce lewis ends up moving to the outfield or somewhere else eventually but um i'm with you however the thing that kind of got me to change my tune on it a little mm-hmm. bit was jorge polanco ironically where i think that's kind of how i would describe jorge polanco right where he's yeah most years he's perfectly league average and he's mm-hmm. had a couple years where he's all-star level and if you get that out of brooks lee i think that's a pretty good scenario yeah again he's also only 22 there's still time for the power to develop if he can kind of become a guy who's like kind of touching between 20 and 25 and he gets you 10 steals a year again i'm only thinking i'm also thinking about this in fantasy contexts because you don't take into account oh yeah i don't think he's gonna be a great fantasy player no he isn't but i think in terms of like a team context yeah, he could work out for the Twins. I just for a guy who is the number five or sorry, number eight pick, right? In it's yeah. a high pick, but you know, baseball is just weird with high picks and stuff like that. He, I, I think you're kind of right with the Jorge Polanco comp is that he'll be knocking on the door of All Star a couple seasons. Yeah, right. and that's maybe that's actually a really good outcome for 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 most for ninety percent of minor leaguers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think too, I think he, I think his prospect capital gets a little bit uh, overvalued because it's like, hey, he's he's never been bad, right? So it's I think mm-hmm. it's easier for evaluators to be like, hey, you know, let's just drop him in at like fifteen, right? And say, hey, you know, they maybe doesn't have the top end potential, but this guy, you know, he's not going to be bad, and so it's right. kind of easy to do that. When you see, oh, top fifteen prospect, I think that gets raised up in your mind, but completely. I think it's just a different way of looking at it versus high floor versus high ceiling. Walker Jenkins, on the other hand, right? He totally has the makeup where it could be perennial all-star MVP yeah. candidate type of guy um, that kind of have top level high end potential. Yep. And so it's just a different way of looking at prospects and probably a way you want to, uh, I don't know. This is also kind of why I like fan graph system more than other systems where it's sure. like, Hey, we're just going to rank based off of future value. And Brooks Lee actually took a pretty big hit in their system because they don't like his defense short and, they think he's going to move off. So mm-hmm. it lowered his valuation quite a bit. Um, but I kind of like looking at that as like a future value model rather than like, oh, we're ranking the top 100 prospects and we don't really have a way to do that other than here's what our scout says about him. Right. Yeah. It, if I'm if I'm really going to be taking a gripe with something, it's the fact that out of you know the top three Twins prospects, I, I don't think 
Brooksley has the highest floor out of the three between Brooksley, yeah. Walker Jenkins, and Emmanuel Rodriguez. But if I was just going to rank them as some guy who's like just read stuff and looked at, you know, really base stats and not done any serious scouting on my own, I would have Brooks three out of those three. So, yeah, I think that's fair. I'd probably put him two, but I think in general, I'm a little lower on Rodriguez. But I think Walker Jenkins is, I think he's the real deal. I uh, agree. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, now that we got our uh, last minute prospect talk out of the way, let's actually wrap up there. Um, but as always, make sure you uh, check out our work at Twinkie Town. You can hear John at Pitcher List uh, as you're gearing up for your fantasy baseball drafts. What's going on in the uh, fantasy world these days, John? Uh, yeah, I have an episode coming out at the end of this week on, um, well, a Detroit pitcher, Tariq Skubal. And um, let's just say, I don't know if I believe all the hype, but uh the the ale ale central's got some really dangerous arms in there so uh that's kind of the main thing for me is pitching but uh my my first real draft is actually starts tomorrow so fantasy baseball is in full swing people and uh the season is opening day is coming up faster than you think nice yeah i I do our sb nation league which we don't have our draft scheduled yet i know we like to wait till the very last minute so we know all the injury updates and everything but uh, i i have not put an ounce of thought into uh drafting yet so i need to actually sit down maybe listen to a few of pitcherless podcasts and get that figured out yeah we i mean we're covering everything pitchers relievers starters hitters everything to dynasty if you're into that so yeah a lot of a lot of good content coming out uh nowadays um and good content coming out from from a lot of people because it is it is a hot time for fantasy baseball yeah, for sure. All right, so be sure to uh, check that out over at Picture List as well uh, if you're interested in fantasy baseball. Uh, and then also be sure to follow us on Twitter slash X. You can follow John at the John Ka and you can follow myself at Ben Jones underscore five. And again, uh, you can follow the pod at Twins Talk Pod. And be sure to check us out there. Check us out at Twinkie Town. We're, I'm really excited about what we're doing this year. Um, it's going to be the same stuff you know and love. And I'm hoping to add a little bit more in, but I'll save the rest for later. Uh, in case it doesn't work out, because you never know when you're working with uh, little to no money on a website. So yeah. uh, on that note, thank you again. And uh, we'll be back soon to talk more twins. 